Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Jeremy Thomas. In this series, we are looking at the two letters to the Thessalonian church. This episode is just a taste from the full lesson. It is a standalone teaching meant as special encouragement for you today. So enjoy this short teaching. We hope you come back tomorrow for the full lesson. First, work of faith. Second, labor of love. Third, steadfastness of hope. Okay, their present work, their good deeds in this case, is growing out of their past faith. I'm going to go past, a present, a future. Their present labor is growing out of their present love for one another. And their present steadfastness or perseverance was growing out of the future hope. I mainly get that because of the idea of hope. Hope. Do you hope for something you already have or already see? Or do you only hope for things that you don't see in our future? So probably what Paul has in mind is the idea of the work of faith is looking back at their initial faith and saying now, growing out of that, there is now works. And he's also looking at their present labor and he's saying that's growing out of your love for one another. And he's looking at their steadfastness and he's saying that is growing out of your future hope. And of course, these three are the great Christian virtues, faith, uh, hope, and love, which 1 Corinthians 13 says, but the greatest of these is love. And uh, that is because um, it is the greatest because that is how the world is to identify us. Jesus said that in John 13, 34 to 35. He says, if you love one another, they will know you. You know, this is how they will identify that you are of me because you love me and you love one another. Okay, so love becomes what identifies us. So it's the greatest. But um, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see these believers were already engaged in, in good works. They were already laboring and that was coming out of love. And they already had a steadfastness, a perseverance in the difficult situation of opposition they were facing at Thessalonica. In verse 4, he says he knows something, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. You notice his, I I use the New American Standard. Does anybody use anything else? It's okay if you do. I'm not calling attention to you (laughs) so much. Uh, But you'll notice if you have the New American Standard, his is uh, in italics. Choice is really a direct object. This word is an accusative in... uh, Noun, that's the part of speech it is, which is basically in our language a direct object. Um, it's not a verb. It, it's translated as a verb, his, his choice of you. Well, that sounds like he chose you. Um, but it's actually not a verb. It is an accusative. It's a noun. It's a direct object. It's probably speaking of their quality. Um, of course, some people think this is the doctrine of election, you know, or, and it is the doctrine of election. The question is, what is the doctrine of election? <laughs> the question isn't, does the Bible teach election? The question is, what does the Bible teach about election? <laughs> um, and this word, if you look it up, you'll see it has, in many of its uses, a qualitative sense. It's talking about the quality of something. Um, I've used the analogy before. My wife tells me to go to the supermarket and get some avocados. Uh, which, which ones does she want me to get? The hard ones or does she want me to get the soft ones? Well, it depends. It depends on when she's wanting to use them. Does she want to use them today? I probably need to get a softer avocado, right? So I, I select 
one that is choice. I don't just select any random one. I select one that has certain quality to it. It's soft, right? And that one is choice, at least I hope. When I get home, I hope she says, yes, this is a great avocado. Um, it's choice. It's premier. It, it, it's not like the others that were hard, okay? Um, so the word often has a qualitative sense to it. And I think what's being said here is he knows that they are the choice of God. Direct object. He knows they are the choice of God. Now, how would he know that they are the choice of God? Meaning, having this quality about it. First of all, they don't, you don't have this quality because of yourself. <laughs> you have this quality because you're in Christ. Because you, uh, he already said this in verse 1, you are in God the Father and you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have this quality about you because ultimately the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. So you have a quality about you, not emanating from you, but due to God's imputation of Christ's righteousness where he views you as a choice vessel. In the same way that, here's a question. Are all believers saints or only some believers saints? Well, yes, we're all saints, but we don't always act like saints, do we? So how is it that God can call all of us saints when we don't all act like saints? Well, because it's a positional term. It's referring to our position in Christ as people who have been set apart. That's what saint is from the, uh, a word from holy. Holy means set apart. So a saint is someone who's been set apart. In the same way, choice is very much like that. If you are choice, you, are, you hold a special place. Okay? Just like my children or my wife. You know, the Bible says, love one another. But it also says to husbands, husbands love your wives. Now, do I love my wife the same way that I love everyone else? My wife would say, well, you better not. And that's because she has a special love that is given to her, that is distinct from the love that I would give to all believers. In the same way, all believers are choice. They are set apart special people in the human race. Okay? This is a distinct from the rest of the world. Now, how did Paul know that they were the choice of God? Well, he explains it in verse 5. See the word for? That means I'm going to give you an explanation here. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know, and, and it goes on. But let, let's, let's deal with this part. What happened is Paul and Silas and Timothy went to Thessalonica. They preached the gospel. But it wasn't just words. I mean, the gospel is words, but it's not just words. In Romans 1, it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Sometimes people say, well, how do un unbelievers who are dead in their transgressions and sins, how do they come to salvation? Well, I mean, I guess God just has to save them, and after He's already saved them, then they can have faith. They call this regeneration precedes faith. And they're trying to solve a problem. They're trying to solve a problem of you've got dead people. The Bible says it, Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. <laughs> and then it says, yet God made us alive. By grace you are saved. Ephesians 2, 5. 
but there's a there is a, a difficulty here, right? How do people who are dead in their transgressions and sins how how do they how do they get saved? And and y'all say, well, you believe, and they'll say, well, you, but you can't believe. You're so dead, you can't believe. People will say this. Um, it's a very common thing to say. Um, but I think the answer to the whole problem is tied up in the gospel itself. The like Romans one, I think, is the best statement on it. The gospel isn't just words, like it says here. It is the power of God. Thank you for listening to this lesson from the Epistles to the Thessalonians. Jeremy has a companion book to this study available on Amazon for purchase. You can find the link in the description below. You can also find out more information on Jeremy's website, beyondthewalls-ministry.org. We thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you found this lesson useful, informative, and encouraging. Because our desire here at Beyond the Walls is for you to grow in your faith, your love of God, and therefore to have a more joyful, abiding life in Christ.